This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Welcome back to Death by Southwest. I'm your host, Margot Carmichael, and I'm here with my sister and additional host, Jenna Schneider. And today, we have a shocking murder story for you that puts a deadly spin on the age-old saying, blood is thicker than water. It's a murder filled with passion and scandal that raises the question, how far would you go for love? This is the murder of Gloria Huerta Marmaleo, a 50-year-old mother of two who was brutally murdered in El Paso, Texas in July of 2009. Before we immerse ourselves in the tragedy of Gloria's barbaric murder, let's talk a little bit about El Paso. Have you ever been to El Paso? I don't think so. If you could describe where El Paso is, what would you say? Texas. Yes. Where else? Like more specifically? Uh, a part of me wants to say very central Texas and a part of me wants to say south central. Ooh, okay. I like it. I feel like I test your map skills a lot on here. You do. And are both those wrong? Yes. Cool. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) So this is how I know El Paso. I've never actually, I have stayed there for one night in a La Quinta, but El Paso is, you know, the most direct way from Atlanta where I lived for a while to Tucson you travel through El Paso. I remember saying to dad, like, I'm a little bit nervous because El Paso is... On the border. On the border. Like... Says the girl who lives pretty much on the border. Right, you're right. We are 60 miles north of the border. What are they, four? Yep. Four? No, they're not even four. Hmm. So where this murder took place today in kind of central El Paso is 12 minutes from the border. 12 miles. But El Paso literally... It's bordered by the Rio Grande, which is the border between the U.S. and Juarez in Mexico. And so I remember that I was like leaving mom and dad's house and driving back to Atlanta. And I was like, I'm going to go this way, but I got to go through El Paso. And I'm probably going to have to stay there for a night because I left later in the day. And El Paso from Tucson is like four and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Izzy, my dog with me. So I was like, I'm going to stay in El Paso for the night. And I was like, I'm nervous because I have heard horror stories about Juarez. Sure, as is with most Mexican border towns. Right. And also, I think, what are the El Pasans? Sorry if that's not what you call them. El Pasoans. El Pasoans thinking, Uh because maybe they have a lot of pride about El Paso. Also, El Paso, what is it, like the sixth largest city in Texas? I don't know what it, it's the second largest city in the Southwest. Oh. Behind Phoenix. Wow. Yeah. With about 680,000 residents. So I was nervous because Juarez, I just remember this. I remember driving down the freeway and I'm here and I'm in El Paso and here bordering the freeway is a flimsy little chain link fence And on the other side is Juarez. So I can see it. I could throw a baseball there. I could spit basically into Juarez while I'm driving on the freeway in El Paso, which for whatever reason, I just heard, you know, it's a very crime ridden, like violent place. And it is. It's known for being incredibly 
unsafe. And for a while, they were trying to kind of clean it up and the, the goal of like making it more safe. But in 2021, it was voted one of the 10 most violent cities in the world. Much of the violence in the city is due to wars between the drug cartels, primarily the Juarez, Jalisco, and Sinaloa cartels. Just uh, last year in 2021, the city recorded 123 killings in August, 111 in July, and bringing the year-to-date total to 717 murders, which is a lot compared to other states. And I wish I had what other states' numbers were in the U.S., but... It's less than that. When you say states, though, Juarez, it's it's a state in Mexico. It's a city in the state of Chihuahua, Mexico. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you just said something about, like, compared to the other states in the U.S. I should have said cities. Yeah, because, like, compared to the the killings in Tucson in 95 or 96, which was one of the most deadly years in Tucson, there was, like, a hundred and something murders. If it's listed as one of the most 10 violent oh, yeah, I've heard cities it's... in the world, then I'm guessing it's, you know, significantly more than um, Tijuana or Nogales. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It is weird to me that El Paso was named one of the 10 safest cities in the United States. One of the scariest and also most confusing parts to me is how this relates to El Paso. Um, and I found it best explained in a statement by U.S. Rep. Tony Gonzalez, who said... What happens in wars certainly impacts El Paso. It's as if we are one city in two countries. So it's confusing to me because like I said, El Paso is one of the top 10 safest cities in the US, but this guy is saying El Paso and Juarez are essentially one city and Juarez is one of the 10 most unsafe cities in the world. What's your theory? Well, I I do have a theory about why El Paso might be considered one of the 10 safest or whatever. Because it's on the border, there's more security. Exactly. Hey, you took my theory. I'm sorry. I literally researched this and was reading about this all day. And I was like, how can that fucking be? This must be a discrepancy. Because there's border patrol, cartel, police officers on the U.S. side. People watching who's coming in, who's going out, checking cars, dogs. Yeah. You know, sniffing. That's totally true. That's a good theory. But... Nonetheless, El Paso is where our story takes place today, not Juarez. We're going to focus on El Paso for a few minutes before we jump into this very dark murder story. And El Paso, which is nicknamed Sun City because it's very sunny. Not Mm -hmm. as sunny as Tucson, though. It is located within the Chihuahuan Desert at the western tip of Texas, where Texas, New Mexico, and Old Mexico meet. It's said to be the largest international metroplex in the world where cultures and traditions blend seamlessly. What does a metroplex mean? You know what? I read that three times today and I never chose to look it up, but I'm thinking it means it's a metropolitan area where more than one country comes together. That's my theory. We're going to fact check that, but that's like my guess. Okay. I feel like this is a a true crime slash geography podcast kind of. (laughs) (laughs) because we uh it helps paint a picture though to like learn a little bit about the city where this is taking place southwestern city so i found a couple interesting fun facts about el paso it is the boot capital of the world they produce the most amount of cowboy boots yep yep boots are serious business in el paso tons of people tons of celebrities 
come to El Paso to find a great pair of boots from any one of the dozens of boot makers in town. And some of the most famous ones, which I don't know if any listeners would know this, I didn't. Tony Lama, Justin Boots, and Rocket Buster Handmade Boots. Those are apparently the three most popular. Do they have a large statue anywhere inside or outside of El Paso of a large cowboy boot? I did not find anything about that. Why do you think that? I don't know. I just pictured it in my mind. Oh. El Paso also had the first Thanksgiving ever take place here in 1598 in the town of San Elizario in El Paso County, way before the Mayflower Pilgrim Landing in 1620. So what was their Thanksgiving about? Because I was about to say, ooh-wee, this might be controversial because Thanksgiving, the Mayflower, the indigenous Americans. Christopher Columbus, terrible person. Yeah. It obviously had nothing to do with the Mayflower or the Pilgrims. And Thanksgiving, I'm going to probably have to cut this. Hmm. Thanksgiving is a shit holiday anyways. It represents terribleness to me. I mean, why would you have to cut that? I don't know, because people love Thanksgiving. No, I I think more people are coming about, coming about um, into, yes, this was native land that we killed and pillaged for. So that's not great. So now I think, at least in my mind, Thanksgiving is shifting into Shifting it's into about like, being with friends and family and yeah, grateful. And let's give thanks and not honor the way that we acquired this land. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a huge military presence there. There's the William Beaumont Army Medical Center, Biggs Army Airfield, and Fort Bliss located in the area. And Fort Bliss is one of the largest military complexes of the United States Army and the second largest training area in the U.S. behind White Sands Missile Range. You love White Sands. I love White Sands, not yeah. because it was the greatest missile range, but right. when you go out there in the backcountry camping, it still says all over, please do not pick up any kind of little debris or anything that you oh, see. Really? Why? Because it could be like live. Yeah, like radioactive or that's probably oh. the wrong word, but yeah. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the pictures when you guys went and camped at White Sands. It looked like just fucking gorgeous one of the coolest places i've ever been you couldn't even picture it in your brain we'll have to post a picture of it because i couldn't even describe it in words i thought this is interesting because this is us too el paso is the only major city in texas that works on mountain standard time which apparently confuses people all the time because everywhere else in texas is central time okay so it's just us in el paso yep we're the only mountain standard or are we the only mountain standard that doesn't shift during daylight uh, daylight savings. savings great question and then the last thing which is not really an interesting fact but i just i kind of thought it was funny and i'd be interested to hear what you think that el paso's official slogan is you better el paso up <laughs> what does that mean like you better like buck up you better el paso up right i don't know all i can think of when every time anyone says el paso is the salsa oh what salsa isn't no i'm like oh (laughs) i think there's a you know kind of like ragu is to tomato marinara uh kind of like you know kind of el paso maybe there is write it down let's look it up yeah i think there is i kind of remember the old commercials from the 90s or something where it's like uh you know like yeah something like with the silly cowboy and shit that sounds about right actually you might be right about that Okay, so let's jump into the story. Today's murder story is a violent one, which ironically occurred in El Paso, one of the safest cities in the U.S., 
but just 12 miles from one of the most violent and dangerous cities in the world, which perfectly illustrates the idea that sometimes the most unexpected people or places pose the biggest dangers. A native of El Paso, Gloria Marmalejo, was described by her brother as a beautiful person inside and out. She was a deeply religious woman, heavily involved in the church and her community, and someone that people described as a motherly figure to everyone in her life. She had strong values and an even stronger work ethic. Family was everything to her, and she always put her family first. My name is Mark Huerta, and I am Gloria Marmalejo's youngest brother. It's a Hispanic family here in El Paso. We were really, really tight, and we always took care of one another. One of the things I remember the most about my mom, uh, growing up, we didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of money. I remember one year, a Christmas, we didn't have a Christmas tree or anything before going to bed. We woke up the next morning. There was a small little, little tree, probably about three foot tall. I don't know where she got it from. It's just the kind of stuff she would do, go out of her way to make sure we were happy. Sounds like she was a very special woman. And to get to know her a little bit better, we're going to go back to the early days of Gloria's life. She was born on July 28, 1954, and grew up in a close-knit Hispanic family in El Paso. In the early 70s, she fell in love with a man named Armando Marmalejo, and on October 11, 1975, they were married. Both of their families were thrilled about the marriage, but the person most thrilled was Gloria. She was deeply in love with Armando, and anytime anyone had anything negative to say about him, she would defend him to no end. Even though Armando and Gloria were young, Gloria had always wanted to be a mother, so they quickly became pregnant with their first child, Manny, and three to four years later, their second, David. Initially, Gloria and Armando were blissfully happy raising their young sons and navigating the ups and downs of being new parents together. But unfortunately, several years after David was born, Armando took a job that required him to be out of town quite a bit over the next few years. As time went on, the time he spent away from his family began to outweigh the time that he spent with them. And by the time that David was about six years old, Armando was practically never there, leaving Gloria to raise both boys almost entirely alone. What did Armando do for work? I do not know. I could not find that. And my other question that you may not know also then is where Mm -hmm. was he traveling when he went out of town for work, if he actually was going out of town for work. Good question. By April of 1995, Gloria officially became a single mother after the two divorced. Armando quickly abandoned her and the boys and moved out of the state and failed to maintain any kind of communication or really any relationship with his young sons. So Gloria had to kind of learn how to navigate motherhood on her own, which was tough. Being the gentle church-going woman that she was, she rose to the occasion and decided to dedicate herself to raising her boys to the best of her ability, to teach them right from wrong and how to become responsible men for when they hopefully one day started families of their own. I have a question. Yeah. Shocking. Hmm. I wonder how Gloria made an income while she was also raising two boys. Two children, two boys, yeah. I'm going to tell you that. Cool. She loved being a mother. She was kind of a natural at it. In a later interview after her death, Manny, her eldest son, described her as being his best friend growing up, being incredibly strong. And he said, she was basically my mother and father. She kept us in sports. She set goals for us to strive for. She believed in us. She was there. She was a great motivator and someone we really looked up to. Ask anyone in the family and they would all say the same thing. 
Gloria was the backbone of the family and the glue that held them together. And according to her brother, one of her brothers, Mark, she had a very close bond with both Manny and David, both boys, but her relationship with each of them was super, super different. And I'm interested to see what you think about this because we're you know, they were two siblings that are about the same difference in age, about four years apart, Mm -hmm. which is the same as us. Mm -hmm. So with Manny, the eldest, she was a bit tougher on him, always pushing him to do his best and be successful. But with David, she was a lot gentler. She tended to kind of baby him or as her brother Mark said, to smother him with love. And that kind of contributed to David being a bit of a mama's boy. He called her mommy well into his teen years, which, you know, I love. (laughs) (laughs) mommy hate it (laughs) okay so what do you want my opinion on oh just do you think well i guess i know the answer i don't even need to you kind of gave the answer of what i think you're gonna ask of like what one son turned out more soft it sounds and more mama boy right i was just gonna say like do you think that mom had a different relationship with you than me and dad had a different relationship with you than me which like duh Mm -hmm. yeah Oh, that was what you were going to ask. That's what I was going to ask, like your opinion on that. Yeah. So, yes, of course, I think how we are anyone, the general we is parented, affects the outcome of our personality. It's like the nature. But I also think it's just like the genetic composition of someone as well plays a part. But yes. Sure. But I think it's interesting that that a parent can have such a different relate, like dad's relationship to you is super different than his relationship to me. Because we're two different humans with two different personalities, two different experiences, put him through two different things, two different wonderfulnesses and awfulnesses and all the things. Yeah, that's true. And the nature part is we come from the same two parents, but I think some attributes of dad are more in me, some of mom are more. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I I think the the listeners are like, we get it. Yeah, they're (laughs) like, no shit. This is very obvious. Yeah, Yeah, that's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) So Manny says that him and David were very close growing up in their younger years, but as they got into their teens and became young adults, the four-year age difference kind of caused them to grow apart a bit. They had interests in different things. So Manny was super into sports and played both baseball and football. He was also super focused on school and creating a, a strong future for himself. David, on the other hand, while he was described as a good kid, his uncle said he was good with his hands and like helped him build stuff, but he was way less focused on school or sports and way more focused on women. He's the younger one, four yeah. year younger. Mm-hmm. He got really into working out. He was he was a naturally attractive dude, but in high school he started working out a lot. He got really fit. He was also pretty charming and became very popular with the ladies and had lots of girlfriends. Do you have a picture of David? I do actually have a picture. You don't have to show me right now. I'm yeah, just wondering. I do. Yeah. At some point, he was as a teenager. He was super cute, like a, a good looking kid. Yes, I will show you his picture and we will post some pictures. What would you imagine him to look like? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> you said it's a Hispanic family, so mm-hmm. darker features. Yeah, darker features. Um, but that could look a lot of different a ways. A lot of different ways. He was popular with the ladies. He had lots of girlfriends throughout his teen years. But according to Gloria's brother, so his uncle, he was never really faithful to anyone because he thought so highly of himself. He thought he could and should have whoever he wanted. And what he wanted was lots of different girlfriends. Some people said that he was in a relationship with this girl, Laura, that he met in middle school 
for his whole life until the part that I'm about to get to. But what his uncle said is that like he was never faithful to her. Like he dated her, but he was dating other people as well. He liked both. He wanted yeah. a partner, a long term relationship. He wanted to be. Yep. Yeah. Have a, a significant other, whatever. Yep. And also wanted to be able to fuck around. Yep. Yeah. So when he was just 17 years old, this woman, one of the women that he was dating, supposedly, according to some people since middle school, Laura Salas, she was 15 at the time and she became pregnant. And it was at this point that David kind of instantly decided to clean up his womanizing ways. And he dropped out of school, got a job and decided to make it official and marry Laura. So they they kept the baby. Um, I'm sorry, I have to say something. They kept the baby. <laughs> it's shocking, right? She she kept the baby. Yeah, it's true. It is shocking because if I was 15, but I assume at least maybe not her, but um, David. David is Catholic. Yes. So even though this wasn't necessarily the life that Gloria had kind of pictured for David, she was happy for him and even welcomed him, Laura, and their new baby to live with her. And as their small family grew, which it did, they eventually had four kids together. Not right away, but not too long after. Over years, they had four kids together and Gloria really kind of helped raise his children. She was a big part of their lives. They lived with her. I couldn't see how long they lived with her. They lived with her for a long time. So several years later, David got an opportunity in Phoenix. They're living in El Paso. Several years later from what? The birth of their first child? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think at this point they had three kids, I want to say. So David got an opportunity in Phoenix, Arizona for a construction job that was going to offer him a lot more money than what he was doing. I don't know what he was currently doing in El Paso. I want to say it was something in construction, but this was a higher paying job. And knowing that his older brother, Manny, at this point, and his estranged dad, Armando, were both living in Phoenix. Oh, it was kind of a no-brainer for him to decide, I'm going to take more money, I'm going to move my family. So him and Laura packed up their growing family and headed west, where David took this job and quickly kind of accelerated, moving up to become, um, he became an iron worker, which I guess paid pretty well, but also unfortunately required a fair amount of traveling. And I do know the places he traveled. Well, yeah, here we go again, like father, like son, right? Yeah. So he traveled pretty frequently and his job took him to places like San Luis Obispo, California, Flagstaff in Yuma, Arizona, and even later on to Hawaii. Nice. Yeah. But relocating to Phoenix provided more than just this job opportunity. It provided David with a chance to reconnect with his estranged father, Armando, who is now remarried and living with his new wife and her children from a previous marriage a teenage boy, Jonathan, and an 11-year-old girl, Mariah. So in Phoenix, now we have David and his wife and their kids. We have Manny, who also married and had kids, and their estranged dad, and they all kind of have reconnected. And what about the poor mom? We're going to get back to her, but she's still in uh, El Paso now by herself, kind of. Her brothers are there. I think her mom is there too, but her kids are gone. They picked daddy over mommy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I get they picked the jobs and all of that, but that maybe is how she felt. That doesn't matter. So David and Manny quickly became close with their new step-siblings, especially Mariah, because the step-brother was older. He was like a late teens. Jonathan. Jonathan, yeah. So he really isn't too much in the picture. 
But Mariah was 11 and she like really connected with David and Manny, looked up to them, was excited to have these like adult older brothers. So uh, Mariah kind of seemed to instantly take to David. She really looked up to him and a lot of people said she even kind of idolized him. So she enjoyed spending a lot of time with him and his family and his wife, Laura, also loved her and formed a strong bond with Mariah. So Mariah spent a lot of time at their house, would sleep over sometimes for a weekend, sometimes for a week, you know, and they had a bunch of kids too. So it was all the kids and Mariah kind of lived there on and off with, with David and Laura and their kids. And over the next few years, David, Manny, and their families grew really close with their dad and really close with Mariah. They seemed to kind of watch her grow up right before their eyes, transforming from this little girl to this beautiful young woman. Uh-oh. Uh, 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 I'm not going to say uh-oh. You say uh-oh. I did say uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you had asked a minute ago, what what was Gloria now all alone in El Paso doing? And I'm going to tell you. Well, and actually I had asked, what, how did she make money when she was raising her boys too? And that's what I'm going to tell you. Cool. Gloria was working for the Texas Workforce Commission as the Integrated Service Area Manager. She worked for them for 27 years. So while she was raising the kid, the boys, everything, that was her job. You know, kind of similarly to how dedicated she was as a mother and a grandmother, she was an equally dedicated employee working at the, in the same job for 27 years. But at 50 years old, she decided she wanted to retire and start a new chapter of her life. She wanted to show others that it was never too late to finish your education. So she went back to school at the University of Phoenix, where she later graduated with a BBA, which reminds me of a BBL, which is a Brazilian butt lift. I know that's not the same thing, but what's a BBA, a business? A bachelor. Business affairs. Sure. I don't know if that's true. I just made that up. Um, And after graduating and receiving her degree, she went on to pursue a new career as a real estate agent for Caldwell Banker. So even though most of her family was currently living out in Arizona, she was pretty happy in El Paso. She was heavily involved in her church and her community. She had a new career to focus on. And it wasn't really until an incident occurred that forced Gloria to recognize just how vulnerable she was living all alone in her El Paso home that she started to not want to be in El Paso all alone. Was her home in El Paso in like a neighborhood, a mm-hmm. suburb? Like there, it wasn't like way out in the boonies where the next uh, house is like a half a mile away? No, no. God, I actually, I Google mapped it and I did the satellite. It's on my computer, not my phone. So I'll have to show you. But it, because I wanted to see A, what the neighborhood looked like and then B, actually how far was her house from the El Paso border, uh, Juarez, mm-hmm. you know, U.S.-Mexico border. And so she lives, it looks like kind of a cul-de-sac. It looks like a really nice neighborhood. I think it's East El Paso. It's like an older area that's established. The house is, you know, kind of from above. I know that if on the ground, it would look totally different, but from above, it kind of reminds me of where we grew up in Chicago. Neighborhoody, houses close together. Either which way, she wasn't like all alone in the midst of the Mm-mm. desert. Yeah. Yeah. But... This incident that occurred is happened because she loved being outdoors. She had a really nice backyard, apparently, loved sitting out there reading, gardening. That was until one day she noticed her neighbor spying on her from behind the bushes. He was just standing behind the bushes. She was like in the backyard reading and he was staring at her. And then she noticed he was snapping pictures of her. I believe this happened a couple different times. 
and it made her incredibly uncomfortable. I mean, do you see my face? Yeah. I feel weirded out by that. Yeah. So she wasn't worried enough to call the police, but she did call her brother, Mark, and she told him about it and said, you know, I feel nervous, I feel uneasy, but I don't think it's something we need to contact the authorities about just yet, but I just wanted you to be aware of the situation. And Mark obviously didn't love this. This made him nervous, but he respected his sister and he respected her wishes to just not do anything as of yet. I wonder, and was this a new neighbor? Is this someone who had lived next to her for a long time? The neighbor had lived there for a while. They were now elderly and this was their son who had come to help care for them. And from what I understand, he he was a little bit mentally unstable. Got it. I don't know exactly how, but that's what an article said. So even though this was kind of disturbing and upsetting to Gloria, certainly, and also Mark, it wasn't quite as disturbing as the news that she was about to receive. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. This stalking incident quickly became like an afterthought. It paled in comparison. It pale, that's a good one. I like that phrase. I just stopped myself from repeating you because I repeat what you say all the time, but that's maybe just because it's so well said. So profound. So profound. <laughs> Mom told me once or probably multiple times that when I was little, I used to follow you around the house and mimic everything you said. <laughs> good thing that stopped early. <laughs> well, the roles have reversed now, haven't they? Mm-hmm. So in March of 2006, David was arrested on suspicion of viciously raping and robbing four women. 
all known prostitutes from Van Buren Street in Phoenix. Whoa, I mean, Van Buren, I I mean, anyone who lives or has I've been to Phoenix. Oh, gosh, I've driven on that. It's like a main, main street. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it a main street known for prostitutes? I don't think so. No, huh. I mean, I don't know that much about Phoenix, but this past year when I've had to go up there a lot for work. Yeah, Van Buren, it's right there. Oh, OK. But David is the one with four children married mm-hmm. to Laura. Yep. He raped vicious. He was arrested on suspicion of viciously raping and robbing four prostitutes. Yeah. And although he initially denied the allegations as more evidence was uncovered, his story began to kind of falter and change. He ended up telling police that he had picked up about 10 prostitutes in recent times in Phoenix. And then he quickly upped that number to 11, but he denied ever raping or robbing them. He did admit that he would sometimes shortchange the prostitutes. And if he picked up a woman who was drunk or high, he would toss a rolled up $1 or $10 bill at them after sex and then drive away. Sounds like a real gem, huh? Yeah, really terrible. So according to police, one of these women, a 22-year-old woman, reported that David pointed a gun at her and said, you're going to do what I want you to do or I'll fucking shoot you. He allegedly then raped her, struck her in the face with a gun and stole $150 from her. So I don't know if that was a prostitute or sex worker or if that was just a random girl that he encountered. I'm not I'm not quite sure. Ultimately, he was arrested for investigation of four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed robbery and 10 counts of sexual assault. According to Officer Louise Samudio, a Phoenix police spokesperson, there were 10 sexual assault charges because each woman was raped in a different way. But weren't there only four women? I mean, more came out. I think that was initially. And then as they, because he said he picked up about 10 prostitutes. Initially, he was arrested on suspicion of, of raping and robbing four women. The story kind of unfolded further and further. So ultimately, this case against David was dismissed because the women who initially accused him suddenly were nowhere to be found. And none of them came forward during the prosecution process which meant that David ultimately walked away scot-free. But, you know, of course, his wife... I've been thinking about her. Yeah, found out about this and was actually not convinced of his innocence. She did not think... She thought that he was guilty, that he had done these things. Well, wouldn't you? Of course. I mean, it's not just like they pick a person off the street and are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, no surprise, but it led to their eventual separation. Okay. Also around this time, David was offered a job in Hawaii, which he took. And Laura was, you know, she was already obviously fed up with David per the recent allegations and everything. And so she decided to pack up the kids and move back to El Paso. And David moved to Hawaii. Well, it it. seems like the perfect time. I mean, if they were already separating. They were, I don't think they were separated, but they were not doing well. How could you be? Right. So now David is living in Hawaii, estranged from his wife and kids. So the being the kind of perpetual ladies man that we know him to be, he met a woman. Well, that sounds so bad after all of those allegations, honestly. You're right. You gave me a look like, whoa. And maybe he was prior to the I mean, maybe I was he thinking is. back like towards high school when I was describing his high school self. He's he can be both. Like he yeah. has been a ladies man and then like a real sexual yeah. offender predator. Yeah. Either way, he met a woman named Adrian, and they began dating and she quickly became pregnant. Wow, he is fertile. 
Is that what you call men? I know women are <laughs> called fertile. I was thinking virile, but that's, that's right. Not, is no, that, it? Yeah, okay. you're right. That's right. You're right. When David's wife, Laura, because they're still married, found out about this new girlfriend and pregnancy, she immediately went to Gloria, David's mother, and told her what was happening. And this information deeply upset Gloria, you know, being a woman who believed and raised her boys to believe that family was more important than anything else. She was super upset about this and she implored David to to come back and try to reconcile with his wife. But much to her dismay, her wishes fell on deaf ears. And by 2007, David and Laura were officially separated, which Legally separated, I think probably. legally is, yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, and he showed no signs of leaving his new life in Hawaii with his girlfriend and newborn. But at this point, just about everyone in David's family was pretty upset with him because from what I understand, they really liked Laura, obviously loved the kids. They were a close family. So they were angry with him and disappointed that he kind of just ditched out on his wife and children. Well, and also maybe they were let down and disappointed that he allegedly, even though he wasn't convicted, raped right. all these True. Women. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. <laughs> that factored in that, a little teeny in. tiny bit. <laughs> yes. So he he essentially had no communication with anyone from his immediate or extended family during this time, mm. except for one, mm-hmm. one person. Who do, who do you think that might be? His stepsister? Mm-hmm. He was still in touch with Mariah, who, you know, years ago and growing up into her teen years kind of was very close with him and idolized him. And... What I didn't mention earlier, because I didn't want to give too much away, is that um, his wife, Laura, had later on in this story, it comes out that she sometimes felt uncomfortable with how close Mariah and David were, even when Mariah was like 12, 13, 14. Like how he interacted with her. Mm -hmm. And how she interacted with him. Like they were just a little too close, but she, I think, kind of brushed it off. Like... Yeah, I'm just imagining it. It's fine. They just, you know, they're siblings. They love each other, not blood siblings. So unbeknownst to any of David's other family members, Mariah and David had never lost touch. They talked frequently during his time in Hawaii. And during her summer break that year, David and his girlfriend, Adrian, invited Mariah out to visit and stay with them over the summer in Hawaii. And Mariah came out and stayed with David and his new girlfriend and baby in Hawaii. Sounds like a lovely family affair. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm gathering that in my yeah in my stomach. <laughs> this is where things really took kind of a an ugly turn. During Mariah's time in Hawaii, David's girlfriend Adrian began to notice that Mariah and David seemed a bit too friendly. She became pretty uncomfortable with the closeness between the siblings or step siblings and started to grow suspicious that the relationship was more than just familial. Mm. Um, she feared that the two were romantically involved. And I wish I had a, you had examples. Touching each other too much. Sitting on his lap and ha Yep, constantly. Just even like I read an article that was like just the way that they looked at each other. Just, yeah, it was uncomfortable. And those those suspicions were quickly confirmed when one evening she walked in on David in his stepsister's bed and witnessed the two in a very sexual encounter. They were having sex. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. And Mariah was still a, a teen. 15 or 16 at this point. Yeah. So Adrian quickly reached out to Gloria, David's mother, and alerted her of what was going on. 
gosh, out. Gloria has got mm. her son David's now girlfriend, previous wife, mm-hmm. all reaching out to her saying, your son, your son. Yep, yep. And Gloria, she was repulsed by the mere suggestion that they there could be a sexual relationship between her son and his stepsister. So she, Gloria, immediately called and questioned David about his relationship with Mariah, which he, you know, vehemently denied that there was anything inappropriate or romantic. Gloria was not convinced and she continued over days and weeks to question David, but her accusations were kind of always denied and and David just continued to stick to the story that him and Mariah were close, but it was completely appropriate and just a brother-sister relationship. He seems like a pretty well-versed denier. Mm -hmm. But once again, something happened that kind of pushed these allegations of an illicit affair with his stepsister to the back burner. David was involved in a pretty bad accident. Uh, Later that summer, after Mariah was gone, David was in a serious motorcycle accident while he was riding up a twisty mountain road in Hawaii. And this crash resulted in him losing his leg. I saw two things. One said that waiting for paramedics to arrive, there was an improperly applied tourniquet, which Mm. caused him to lose his leg. And then another account said that the way that he fell, the motorcycle fell on his leg and was like severing his tendons and, and there was nothing to do but cut his leg off. So he lost his leg. And even though Gloria still had, you know, some concerns about David and Mariah and was upset about this, the second she found out about the accident, she put her feelings aside and flew out to Hawaii that night to be by his side. That took precedence. Yeah. She stayed with him in Hawaii throughout his entire recovery. And David later recalled how much she was there for him saying, quote, my mother stayed with me in the hospital. She wouldn't leave me. She stayed there with me. She held my hand. She said everything was going to be okay and made me feel so much better. I have a question kind of that's popping back a little bit. Sure. Did his new girlfriend and mother of his new infant or new child, child, uh, stay with him? No. After finding him allegedly in a sexual position with his stepsister, Mariah? I don't. uh, So what I couldn't find is like, did she see that and then immediately move out? I don't know. But ultimately, no. Got it. They were done. I think probably they were done in that moment. But maybe- Whether it it took took a a few months. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. But once David fully recovered from this motorcycle accident or as much as he could recover having lost a leg, Gloria finally returned to El Paso. But it wasn't quite the homecoming that she was hoping for. She barely had a chance to unpack her bags before she noticed that her neighbor was once again stalking her and watching her constantly. He had kind of amped it up at this point. Like before he would occasionally watch her through the bushes, which don't get me wrong, still terrible and weird taking pictures. But now it felt more aggressive to her. Like she would sit outside and he wasn't taking pictures. He would sit there and stare at her and she would look at him and he would not falter, not blink, not move. Meanwhile, back in Hawaii, David's relationship with his girlfriend had unsurprisingly come to a bitter end. And David was feeling kind of lost in life. He had lost a leg. He'd lost his girlfriend. He was estranged from all of his many children. And knowing Gloria, knowing that her son was kind of flailing in life, combined with the fact that she was feeling pretty uneasy at home, she asked David to come stay with her for a while in El Paso. She wanted to help him get his life back on track. And she wanted to also have somebody there with her. Mm -hmm. But her invitation came with a stipulation. 
David had to break all ties and all communication with Mariah. And David agreed. He said, okay. And he returned to El Paso in March of 2009. And for a while, for a little while, it was kind of, it was nice. Things were going good. Mother and son, they were getting along, enjoying each other's company. Gloria felt safe in her own home. David felt like he had a purpose. He was kind of helping, you know, helping out around the house, repairs, maintenance, cooking, whatnot. It was good. As far as Gloria could tell, David was holding up his end of the bargain as far as keeping his distance from his stepsister. And even though things were going really well for Gloria and David, Manny, the older son, wanted his mom to come spend more time with her grandkids and urged her to come live with him and his family in Arizona for a while, for several months, kind of indefinitely. So Gloria decided to take Manny up on his offer and move out to Phoenix kind of indefinitely. And she said, you know, while I'm gone, she was going to allow David to stay in the house and take care of her home in El Paso. Gloria was kind of secretly hoping that David would use this time to reconcile with Laura and reconnect with his kids. And even though David gave Gloria at this point no reason to believe that him and Mariah were still in touch, she couldn't get the thought that there may still be something there between them kind of out of her head. So she was planning to return to El Paso monthly to check on her house, visit with friends and family. And then she also asked her brother, Mark, who lived in El Paso, to please regularly check in on David and make sure that Mariah was not around. So during one of her first monthly visits back, she moved out to Phoenix, living with Manny, came back to El Paso to visit with friends and check on her house. And during one of those first visits, alarm bells immediately went off in her head about David and Mariah, because when she got to her house that first time back, she noticed a bunch of female items around the house that didn't belong to her, things that kind of indicated a female had been living there with David. Which, if I'm just taking a step back, it could have been any female because he's a grown adult, an adult, 29, I think, at this point. Oh, a young, a young man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it could have been anybody, but somehow Gloria knew it was Mariah. Because that feeling, yeah, that's exactly mother knows best. That mother's intuition. Yep, and that's what everything I read said. Like she just, she knew. It was bothering her a lot. Uh, She felt like she was losing her place. She felt like she was, that she didn't have any kind of uh, uh, authority or ruling on her own house. She did not want Mariah in the house, and she felt very strongly about that and said, David, if I come home and there's, when she's there or her stuff is there, you're out of this house. She confronted David and said, I know Mariah's been here. I know you're still carrying on with her. Either you Get her out of this house. You cut all ties with her or the next time I come back, you're evicted. You are out on the street and you cannot live here anymore. So even after Gloria gave David this pretty severe ultimatum, she couldn't shake the feeling that David hadn't really taken her seriously. She was in Phoenix just like she would talk to Manny about it. She's like, she couldn't stop thinking about the fact that David was having this romantic relationship with his stepsister back in El Paso in her home. And on top of her anger towards David about this whole Mariah stepsister thing, she was also frustrated with him because he he never reconciled with his wife, Laura, and the kids. He wasn't keeping up with the bills at Gloria's house. And overall, she felt like he was just kind of failing to get his life together. She was just really fed up with him. So she decided several weeks later that she was going to make an unannounced visit to El Paso. 
smart. And also I can imagine her heart pumping when she gets off that plane in Texas. Mm. Like, what am I going to find? What am I going to find? Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Well, her hope was that she would catch David off guard and confirm the suspicions of his ongoing sexual relationship with his stepsister once and for all, and then just kick him out and be done with him. So on Saturday, July 25th, 2009, Gloria got in her car and embarked on the six-hour drive from Phoenix to El Paso. And before she left Phoenix, she asked Manny to please not tell David that she was coming. And she got on the road and then she called her mother, who lived in El Paso, Mary, and asked her also to please not alert David to her impending arrival. Gloria arrived in El Paso later that evening around 5 p.m. to a home that she barely recognized. It was filthy. It was dirty. It was messy. There was crap everywhere. And as Gloria walked through her once very tidy home, she grew just more and more upset with David for how little respect he had for her and her house. And her anger only grew even more when she attempted to get into her own bedroom, the master bedroom, and found that It was locked, and it was not the lock that had been there before. The lock had been replaced. So she didn't have a key. She couldn't even open the door to her master bedroom. So she called her mom, Mary, again and said, "Um, Mom, can you have your husband, Sal, her her mom's husband, Sal, and her stepfather, I guess, come help me unlock this bedroom door? And her mom said, sure. A few minutes later, around 5.15 p.m., Gloria called David. And David answered. He was apparently at the movies with friends. And Gloria said, I need you to come home and unlock the bedroom door and help me with my luggage. He agreed and said he would head home. And Gloria called her mom back and said, I don't need Sal to come over anymore. David's going to come help me. Um, you know, I'll call you later. When David arrived home, he was met with a furious Gloria, rightfully mm-hmm. so, who immediately began yelling at him because of the condition of her home. Mm-hmm. David didn't enjoy being yelled at like he was a child. So he he did help her with her luggage, unlocked the bedroom door, and then left and said, I'm going back to the movies. I'm not going to deal with this. Around 7.30 that night, Manny called Gloria. He hadn't mm-hmm. heard from her. You know, she left his house that morning, drove. He hadn't heard from her. He was concerned to, to know if she made it to El Paso safely because he hadn't heard from her at all, which was, I guess, not typical of their relationship. So he, he called her, rang and rang, no answer. He called again at 9.15 that night, no answer. At 11.50 p.m. that night, David called Manny. And Manny said, have you seen mom? Like, I haven't heard from her, I'm worried. And David said, yeah, uh, she's fine. I was was at the movies, I came home, I helped her with her luggage, I unlocked the bedroom door, and and she was yelling at me because she didn't like how I kept the house. So then I just left. I'm not home right now, but she was fine. The next day, Sunday, July 26th, Manny tried calling his mom again in the morning. No answer. Manny was, you know, he was getting increasingly worried that he hadn't heard anything. Okay, the night before, fine. Maybe she was tired. She fell asleep. Sure. But by the next morning, no answer. Worried. And then at 9.30 that night, he still hadn't heard from her. So this is the next day, Sunday night. So he called David and said, what is going on? Where's mom? I haven't heard from her. David said, I don't know. I haven't seen or heard from her since I helped her with her luggage. He said, I didn't come home last night until very late after the movies. And I'm home now, but mom's not in her room and her car's not here. By Monday, July 27th, Manny called her again and got no response. Manny was freaking out. You know, he had called other family members. 
neighbors stuff. He couldn't find her. No one had heard from her. No one had heard from her. No one had seen her. So he called the El Paso Police Department and tried to file a missing persons report. But they told him he could not file the report because he was not the last person to see her. So he was like, fuck this. I'd get in my car. That's exactly what he did. Yeah. Yep. He got in his car with his wife and they drove to El Paso. And while Manny was, and Jennifer, his wife, were heading to El Paso, Gloria's mother, Mary, her husband, Sal, and Gloria's other brother, Conrad, headed over to Gloria's house where David was. They went inside and sat down with David. And he said, yeah, I saw I saw mom when she arrived Saturday evening. I opened the bedroom door, but I haven't seen her since then. So they were all talking about like, well, who had seen her last? So then, okay, fine, David, you've seen her last. You have to file the missing persons report. So he did. They all went to the police department and filed a missing persons report. Manny and his wife arrived in El Paso the next day on the 28th. So Tuesday, July 28th, which would have been Gloria's 55th birthday. Mm -hmm. And upon arriving at his mom's house, you know, he walked in, walked through the house. He noticed that the master bedroom looked as if it had been like very recently tidied up. The bed was made. Gloria's suitcase was not unpacked. Her cosmetics bag was sitting on the bathroom counter. And I'm not sure exactly what this means, but this article said these were all things that were kind of uncharacteristic of Gloria, of her habits, which I guess maybe like, you know, if she arrived home, why wouldn't she unpack right away? Like it's her house. Well, and what seems weird to me is all her stuff was there, yep. yet she wasn't fine and her car wasn't. And right. it it wasn't just like she'd been out all day. Now it's been a night or two, right? A night. Well, now it's Tuesday. She arrived Saturday right. evening. Right. So like, it's yeah. not just like she went out to visit friends or even one night where she had too many margaritas and mm-hmm. stayed out. Right. Her stuff's all there. Yep. So furthermore, Manny had kind of an immediate issue with David's behavior and demeanor. He seemed kind of calm. He said that David's reaction to the news that their mom was missing was not one that you would expect of someone who loves and cares about their mom and has a close relationship with, which they both did have a close relationship with her. Manny is freaking out. David is kind of like, I don't know, I haven't seen her. Like, that's it. So Manny asked David, can you take me step by step through like your last interactions with her, like times and everything? David said, look, this is the last call time that she called me. He showed everyone his cell phone of getting a call from Gloria at 5.40 p.m. on Saturday. When she said, come on home, man. He actually claimed that this was the second call, that uh. he called. she called him at 5.15. He came home real quick, helped her, and then left. he left. And by 5.40, he was already on his way back to the movies. Okay. Okay. And then after the movie theater, he went to a cookout at a friend's house. And then after he left the cookout, him and his date, who he hadn't named at this point, mm. went out to a nightclub and he didn't get home to Gloria's house until about 3 a.m. David also told Manny that he was worried that he might be considered a suspect because of a hug and a kiss that he had given Gloria, which would result in his DNA being found on her. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. 
Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. A suspect of what also? I get she's not been around, but whoa. At this point, she's just missing. Right. Yeah. Maybe she got in a car accident, fell down a well. Oh, well, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say, but yeah. maybe. So when the El Paso police detective met with the family on Wednesday, July 29th, so she's no one has seen her since Saturday. It's now Wednesday. David reiterated the same exact story that he had been telling Manny and the rest of the family, except for one detail. He now claimed that he had gone from Gloria's house directly to the cookout. He never went back to the movie theater, mm-hmm. as he had earlier told family members. Manny was present during the statement that David was making to the police detective. And he noticed the change in the story and thought it was weird. So this cookout that David supposedly went to was at a woman named Catherine Thompson's house. And she did confirm that she saw David earlier in the day. And David and Mariah took her sons to a movie in Northeast El Paso. Took Catherine Thompson's sons. Got it. I don't know, friend. She then explained that Mariah and Kath and her sons returned from the theater later that day, but David was not with them. Mm. She did not see David until he returned to her home a little bit before 7 p.m. on Saturday night. Him and Mariah stayed and hung out and left around midnight together. Later that day on Wednesday, July 29th, Gloria's car was found abandoned near an elementary school on the east side of El Paso. Her purse, including her keys and cell phone, were inside the car. And following this discovery, a unit called the Crimes Against Persons Office of the Police Department became involved, and they asked all family members to come back and give official statements again. And they did. All family members went back and gave statements again that Wednesday, the 29th. And the next day, the 30th, David was asked to give a another statement because of the inconsistencies in his prior statement. Because, I mean, he's the only person who has seen her since she left Phoenix. So they're really questioning his timeline. And this detective just didn't believe that he could have driven the distance from the theater to the Thompson house and then to Gloria's house. Because he said he went from the theater to Catherine Thompson's Mm -hmm. house where the cookout was to get a car. Then he went to Gloria's, blah, blah. Then he went back to the theater. They just, it didn't add up. So they drove the route that David claimed he went and timed how long it would take to drive it. He later on testified that He even allowed for a few extra minutes and he drove a little bit over the speed limit, a little bit under the speed limit. It still took him about 31 minutes to drive the route that David said he did. So the earliest that David could have arrived at Gloria's house that Saturday night was 5.49 p.m. But if we recall, David said that he got there 5.20, something like that, 5.30, and he was already gone on his way back to the movie theater by 5.40. And so what this detective is saying is he wasn't even fucking there yet. Mm. At 5.40, when he's claiming that's the second phone call, I was already, I'd been there and left, the detective's saying he wasn't even there at 5.40. Mm. So that's her being like, where are you? Mm-hmm. So at this point, detectives are 
suspicious. They found her car. David's story is not adding up. So they inspect her home. They go through her home with a fine tooth comb and they find blood in the garage, a blood smear on a cabinet in the garage, which deemed her house officially a crime scene. Now, they don't know whose blood yet. They started canvassing the neighborhood, hoping that somebody, anybody would have seen something in the past few days. And Gloria's next door neighbor, Julie Serrano, said that at approximately 5.30 a.m. Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. she saw the garage door of Gloria's house open and she saw someone who who was a female and she believed to be Gloria drive Gloria's red Hyundai SUV out of the garage and down the street. But she couldn't clearly see who it was, but, you know, she assumed it was Gloria. Right. She wasn't, like, honed in. Right. Yeah. But I don't know if this is another neighbor or if this is Julie's partner. I'm not sure. He has a different last name. But Rafael Vargas, another neighbor, was also outside with Julie and corroborated her story. And he added to the story. He said, the driver was not Gloria. It was a lady in her 30s, maybe, or younger. She just kind of had a pale white face and she looked scared. He said that he was certain the driver was a woman with blondish hair about shoulder length. He also said that he thought he saw another person in the back of Gloria's car. So everyone's mind immediately went to the only person in their lives that would match this description. Moriah. Moriah. So Gloria's family is distraught and confused and expecting the absolute worst, which... On July 31st, their worst fears are confirmed. Gloria's battered and badly decomposed body was found by a woman who was walking her dog in the desert behind Santa Teresa Elementary School. Gloria was found lying face up. Her head was covered in a plastic bag and then a brown paper bag. And there were ligature marks around her neck. Her hands and her left foot were also wrapped in brown paper bags, which was confusing to me kind of like what why, why just the left well why just the left and why why at all at all yeah the brown paper bags i guess for police indicated that whoever her killer was took the time to really try and cover their tracks which made it seem highly unlikely that gloria's murderer was a random stranger or like an intruder or something like that so according to the medical examiner gloria's body was partially mummified and severely blackened due to the desert heat. From the autopsy, the medical examiner was able to determine the cause of death was asphyxia due to ligature strangulation. So something, a rope, a belt, something was used to strangle her. Um, And Gloria's killer had strangled her with such brutality and ferocity that her larynx had been completely crushed and collapsed, making it hard to deny that this was a very personal murder. Uh, So shortly after Gloria's body was found, the lab tests were able to identify who the blood that was found in the garage belonged to, and it was Mariah. Oh. Which, you know, encouraged police to obviously bring her in for questioning pretty quickly after getting those lab results. And Mariah claimed that the blood in the garage was from a, a night that her and David had recently had a fight that had turned physical. But her her alibi for that night that Glory went missing and was likely murdered, it just didn't quite add up. So she claimed, Mariah was claiming that she was with David, which David corroborated the whole night. But cell phone records, once um, police subpoenaed their both their cell phone records, it did not support what they either of them were saying. 
the investigators learned that a call was made from David's cell phone around 1.37 a.m. on July 26th. And based on the cell tower that it pinged, it put his location approximately four miles from where Gloria's body was found, which is not where he said he was. He said he was with Mariah either at a bar or something. Yeah, they were either at a club. You know, earlier in these stories, it was said they were at a club and then they got home at 3 a.m. But then some of the other stories that I read or articles I read said that they were um, they went from the barbecue home to Gloria's house and they were in bed asleep. Either way, this cell phone call proves that's not true. There was no bar club within three or whatever, four miles of that cell phone tower and neither was Gloria's home. Exactly. Exactly. And was he calling Mariah or texting or whatever? Okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty strong evidence to support that David was in the area of the dump site on the night that Gloria went missing. So beyond this, cell phone records indicate that between 5.30 a.m. and 6 a.m., Later that morning on July 26, there were multiple calls between David and Mariah, which would make no sense if they were asleep in bed together. And when police asked David about this, he said, well, maybe Mariah rolled over on my phone, which again, like she rolled over on her phone four times. Multiple times in a row. And called herself like, no, come on. Mariah, so she initially claimed she was with David the entire night. Um, but when she was presented with this cell phone evidence, she you know, she quickly changed her story, telling police that there was actually a three and a half hour period that David was gone from when he left the movies. Mm-hmm. And then he never came back to the movies. He met her at that house party, that barbecue. Mm. She explained that at one point she even called David to ask what was taking so long. And he said, it may have been a text message. He said, I'm taking care of business. She told police, like, she got that message and she felt like something was wrong and something was going on, but she just didn't know what. She also, in this interview, admitted that David had coached her before she had come to talk to the police now. He had told her, give them as little bit of information as possible, just stick to the story of the night. He told her, you know, lie about how much time I was gone. She told police she was scared of David. She didn't want to betray him. And she didn't want to say too much, but that there was more to this story. She said that much to investigators. Yeah, she said There's that more, much. but I'm scared. <laughs> yep. At this point, police kind of see they're in. They see like she's cracking and they push even harder for her to, to tell them the full story. They promise her full immunity. And after this, she she breaks down and com- and reveals exactly what did happen that night. I saw something on Instagram, which again may not be true, but like the seven things that police officers can lie to you about. And one of them is, if you take this plea deal, we'll give you lesser time, lesser sentence. That's so creepy. There's also, you know how cops have to say like, People will say, are you a cop? And I've heard they have to answer truthfully. That's not true. That's not I true. always question that. But yeah. as a just a human being existing in the world, that's important to know that if you ever are in a situation where you are being questioned about something, you should know what police are allowed to lie about to you. So they, they did offer her immunity. She then kind of spilled the beans on everything. She explained that the tensions between David and Gloria were at an all-time high and hit a breaking point that night when David left the movie's to go meet Gloria at her home. He left the movies and went to go meet her with full intentions of just helping her with her luggage and that would be it. But he then admitted to Mariah that he ended up strangling and killing his mother that night because she would never let David and Mariah be together. You know, David arrived home. She was yelling at the state of the house. 
Once he unlocked the bedroom door and she could see Mariah's things were there, she was disgusted. She was fed up. She wanted him and Mariah out of the house once and for all. And so he told Mariah that he, quote, did what he had to do. After he admitted all this to Mariah, he asked her to help him move the body. He needed help moving the body. And Mariah admitted to helping David clean up the crime scene, which was apparently in the in Gloria's bathroom is where she was apparently strangled. So I don't know what what exactly that means, clean up the crime scene, but um, it, she said, I helped him clean up the crime scene and then I helped transport the body to the dump site. Um, when we got there, Mariah said she stayed near the car while David kind of carried or dragged his mother's body, left it in the desert area. and um, So that was the quote-unquote dump site wasn't anything specific. It was just mm-mm. the middle of outer El Paso? The the closest thing to it was um, was an elementary school. So it was kind of like a open desert land behind this elementary school. And I feel like we've talked about this on other episodes. If I'm going to dispose of a body, which I never am planning to, but if I ever needed to, I would hope that I would do a better job than just like, well, let me just roll the... Spe- I was going to say, especially my mother... He obviously didn't care. He killed her. So that's yeah. not a good argument. But. Yeah, especially your mother. <laughs> You'd take more time and care with your mother. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense. So between the phone records and Mariah's story, police knew that the, it was time to secure a warrant for David's arrest. And on September 4th, 2009, David was arrested for suspicion of murdering his mother. So his first trial began October 2010. In this trial in October 2010, Maria testified against David with full immunity. She did have full immunity. She told jurors that she met David when she was 13 years old, which everything that I saw and read, she was much younger than that. Not much, but she was like 10 or 11 when he first came into her life. She did say that their relationship turned sexual on July 5th, 2005, when she was 14 and he was 25. And the relationship was kept a secret because David was married at the time. She told jurors that she became pregnant with David's child when she was a freshman in high school, 14 going on 15, and gave the baby, which was a boy, up for adoption. And the family never... I don't know. That's what's so interesting is I don't know if the family ever knew. Maybe she just said it's her neighborhood or high school so-and-so. Maybe they did know that she was pregnant and stuff, but didn't know that it was David. Sure. Who knows? And then, of course, she testified uh, and explained the whole situation of of helping David move Gloria's body on the night of, uh, well, morning, early, early morning of July 26th. At least from what I know thus far, which I think is everything, because yeah. now they're in trial. Yes, of course, the cell phone records and the timeline kind of match up with the story, the alleged events of what happened. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is what Mariah is indicating to the investigators. But, like, they never found his DNA in her eyeball, Gloria's eyeballs or anything. We are getting there. Okay. You are totally right. Okay. Where your head's at is correct. Okay. So per no- usual. Per usual. <laughs> yes. So David's wife, Laura, and they were estranged at this point. She also took the stand and described to contribute to his character and what kind of a violent person he could be. She described an incident that happened in April 2009 when he he wanted her back. He wanted to get back together with her. And she didn't want to. And he choked her in Gloria's garage until she passed out. And Laura testified that when she came to, David was kicking her in the stomach with this kind of brutal beating, only stopping after their daughter walked in on it. Because that's going to make 
your estranged wife want to get back with you? <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably not. But that's... Um, he had a rage or anger problem anger or problems. control issues yeah. or something. So evidence surrounding David's vehicle, which was processed by the El Paso Police Department crime scene tech, was brought up in trial as well. And there were hair samples on the interior vehicle of his car that were consistent with Gloria's hair, I believe found like in the floor area. Also during the trial, the DA showed jurors photos of Gloria's body. And I found this just like, ugh. and while these photos are being shown, David couldn't look at them and was silently weeping while these photos were shown, which I mean, I, you said that bothered you to hear that or read that? Well, because you killed her, dude. Like, look at it. Yeah, look at it. Keep it together or don't keep it together, but don't look away because you did that. David's defense team challenged all this evidence and said it was insufficient, which is pretty much what you're saying is what they were saying, that the evidence did not prove his identity as the killer. It, the case against him was was based solely on evidence of motive and opportunity, that he had a motive and he had the opportunity and time to do it. There's no DNA or physical evidence. Yeah, it's not except like they for found the hair. And his belt had her skin on it and then he had was wearing it again. Right. And the hairs, yes, that's the most physical evidence. And but my hair's in your car. Exactly. Yeah. And I haven't washed my car, vacuumed it in over a year. Right. So it, despite all of this seemingly damning evidence and Mariah's testimony and everything that was brought up in this trial, the trial ended in a mistrial because the jurors could not reach a unanimous verdict. So that was his first trial in March or in uh, 2010. So his second trial began in March 2011. They had to move it to San Antonio because there's so much media coverage in El Paso that it was impossible to have it there. And during this trial, which is interesting because in this second trial, Mariah did not testify. She only testified in the first trial. I'm guessing that the prosecution was was allowed to use her testimony. She just maybe wasn't there physically. Right. Like she said all the things that right. she has to say or could yeah, say. Yeah. David was found guilty of murdering his mother and he was sentenced to 54 years in prison for the crime, which is equivalent to the age that his mother was when she was killed. Poetic. Very poetic. Absolutely. She was quite young, too. Yeah, she was quite young. To this day, David still claims to have nothing to do with the murder. He says, I still maintain my innocence. I don't mind going to prison for something that I did, but I did not commit this crime. Since then, in 2017... While he was in prison, 29 new charges were brought against David, including 15 counts of sexual assault, four counts of armed robbery with a deadly weapon, four counts of aggravated assault, two counts of sexual abuse, and four counts of kidnapping. The authorities stated that these crimes occurred between 2005 and 2006 in Phoenix, and though he was initially charged for these crimes, which we talked about earlier, the police couldn't locate the victims, mm. which meant that David never went to trial. So either the victims just were scared, disappeared, or some some articles I read said that many people thought that the, that he killed those victims and disposed of their bodies and they were just never found. In 2017, additional people who were victims and or involved in these crimes did come forward. So the ones who had initially said he did this or this or that to me, then they disappeared and then in 2017 some of them came some forward. of them came forward and, and additional people came forward as well some some like of, witnesses like, or witnesses and additional victims oh right okay yeah while he initially was going to plead not guilty to any of that he took a plea agreement 
and agreed to plead guilty to three counts of sexual assault and three counts of attempted sexual assault. And then all other charges were dropped against him. Why do you think he did that? I would imagine, I don't know, one of two reasons. I think either because he didn't want to go through a whole nother trial and going to court and stuff again. And he's already in prison for murder for a very long time. So like, what's the point at this point? And if he lost, you know, he's in prison for 54 years. He was sentenced to, I think he, with the eligibility for parole after, I want to say 37 years. So he, he could get out and have a life at this point. Now, if he goes, if he pleads not guilty and goes to trial for 29 new charges, armed robbery with a deadly weapon, aggravated assault, sexual he's in abuse. Forever. And if he gets found guilty for all that, yeah, he's never getting out. So I'm assuming he agreed to take a lesser sentence if he pleaded guilty to a lesser crime. So and like, then he doesn't go to trial. Right. And so, you know, I know that he was extradited back to Arizona for these new charges. I couldn't find if he then stayed in Arizona or was then sent back to Texas. The only thing I could find was that in an article that said, per prison records, he remains incarcerated at the Charles T. Terrell unit in O'Sharon, Texas, and he'll be eligible for parole in 2036. 2011 to 2036 is 25 years. So he could have just, just, I know it's a long time, but for murder, if 2036 comes up and he's, he gets parole. He was only in for 25 years for murder. You know what I just thought of? I wonder if there is no hard, hard evidence. It is not like an open, shut case. Maybe his DNA is under her fingernails. There is blood in his car from her. You know, hair is one thing. Blood is another thing. So perhaps they did find him guilty, but because it is not thousand billion percent like a lesser sentence a lesser and a, sentence and a sooner yeah. parole or just a lesser because sentence like, yeah everything points to you you probably did this but we don't we can't just throw the book at you 100 percent. you definitely did this and we know it without a question so you get a lesser sentence that's that's the only thing i think i don't know yep. if that's how it works but that would make sense kind of don't yep. love it he doesn't either if he's innocent yeah i don't think he is um so yeah that is that is the story of david Marmalejo and Gloria Marmalejo. And, um, you know, as always, our thoughts and well wishes go out to Gloria's family. Very sad. And good night and good luck. There you go. Good night and good luck. We'll see you guys next week. Adios. That's a wrap. And if you want to see pictures of the victims, the murderers, and any additional related images, head over to our Instagram right now. Our handle across all social media platforms is death then the letter X and then Southwest spelled out. So D-E-A-T-H-X-S-O-U-T-H-W-E-S-T. Death X Southwest. Death by Southwest is a Cavalry Audio production. Hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Produced by Margot Carmichael. Associate produced by Jenna Schneider. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Audio editing and sound design by Revision Sound. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. 
I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.